The ephemeral nature of cloud computing makes it so that it is potentially a much more dangerous place. And one of the things I've talked about in the past is really understanding that shared responsibility model. Deploying in the cloud is a safe place to do it, but it requires you to understand how to secure those services that you use, uh, regardless of vendor or cloud service provider. It really depends on how you secure them, but you can still protect and still accomplish many things. You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. Orca provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. Thanks, Orca. I'm here with Drew Daniels, the CIO and CISO of Druva. Welcome, Drew. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. You know, across a career, not only do we as professionals grow and change, but the world we're in changes and evolves. And I'd like to get some insight from you today, especially in light of the transition from the old on-premise world that many of us started in to the world of cloud that is increasingly the default model for IT infrastructure. But before we get into that, I'd like you to share with the audience a little bit about your career journey and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So as Andy said, I'm Drew. I've been in information security for about 21 years now. And, you know, interesting enough, especially on this relevant topic, you know, when I started in information security, it was all on-prem. The cloud was not yet really a thing. And in my first few roles, I was working with, at the time, application service providers, which was the thing that really popped up before SaaS. And this is where companies were hosting their applications uh, in their own data centers. And I've watched that natural progression, especially over the last five or six years, of companies moving into the cloud. So I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about these problems and addressing these problems. You know, it does uh, present some unique challenges, especially the ephemeral nature and the ease of setting these resources up. I was recently telling someone that, uh, you know, years ago when I thought about the on-prem, you know, there was racking and stacking hardware, you know, installing OSs, and you probably were working with multiple days or multiple weeks to go from zero to, you know, running. And now you can do that all. I mean, you can go from, you know, nothing, uh, not even having a cloud account to resources and a website running in under 15 minutes, probably under five minutes if you know what you're doing. It is a big shift. And so now you're a CIO and CISO. And so what's that like balancing those two roles? You know, one, I actually had a, another conversation with someone a few months ago and he said something to me and, and I was like, yeah, I guess it's a little bit like that. He said, you know, do you ever argue with yourself? And I said, yeah, I mean, on, on the CISO side of the house, my job is to think about how do I secure something? How do I protect the data, the systems, the people? And on the CIO side of things, it's about availability. It's about service delivery. And those two don't always align. You know, in my industry, in the security industry, you know, many of my peers, they don't relish working for a CIO because 
of that perceived or potential conflict. So it is very interesting to wear both hats, to know that I have to be responsible for service delivery at Druva and making sure that you know our employees and our applications are running and available and enabling the business. But at the same time, thinking about how I secure those things so that you know those end users, those customers, the data that resides in those applications is secure and protected. So it's it's a really interesting challenge. Some days, you know, I have to think about it from an availability standpoint. Other days, I have to think about it from a security standpoint. And there's still days where I have to be keeping both things in my head all the time. That's a fascinating challenge. And how do you juggle that, especially uh, the cloud became more prevalent, I assume for you, the security approaches that you've used and how you've thought about security has changed. And what are those changes that sort of stand out most to you? Absolutely. And an interesting thing, you know, Druva's journey has been, you know, a fairly interesting one. I've only been here a short time, but I still see the impacts of, you know, the company be around for a while, 12 years now in the data protection space. And when they started out on this journey originally, it was an on-prem business. So, you know, this was 12, 13 years ago before the cloud was really a thing, as I mentioned. And Druva had to figure out at every stage in every part of the business, how to become a cloud native business. And they've been working on it now for six years. And, you know, to see some of the history, see some of the evolution, you know, I have people on my team that have been here for that whole journey, you know, when it was on prem going to the cloud. So it's been interesting to watch that. And as I mentioned, I mean, you know, the ephemeral nature of cloud computing makes it so that it is potentially a much more dangerous place. And one of the things I've talked about in the past is really understanding that shared responsibility model. You know, deploying in the cloud is a safe place to do it, but it requires you to understand how to secure those services that you use, uh, regardless of vendor or cloud service provider. It really depends on how you secure them, but you can still protect and still accomplish many things. So as you think about your industry, I suspect there are considerations about cloud and cloud security that are probably different than what people outside the industry might expect. What's sort of the biggest one that jumps out to you that you know, outsiders are, would be surprised by? I think the scale is one that can quickly get out of hand. You know, when we say, for instance, deployed Orca security, we started thinking about this from, you know, What are the assets that we need to protect? And we really had an understanding of that problem that we thought was pretty comprehensive. And when we installed and started running Orca Security, we started finding a number of things that were unusual, things that people had forgotten was out there. And it really helped us start to think about how we think about that because You know, the cloud is a renting model. You know, you rent by the minute or the hour or the day. And it's very easy when you start having thousands and thousands of resources that you forget these five that you were playing with, you know, six months ago. You find out that they're still running. And now that you had forgotten about them, they haven't gotten updated. Uh, They're not getting security patches. They have an insecure service that's running. And Orca helped us to highlight those things. So that was one of the I think big wins at Druva is when I brought the Orca into Druva, it was a very big win. Yeah, so I guess you don't find those anymore when you're doing a data center audit because you're trying to you know free up some rack space to squeeze in a few more servers. You don't find those lost ones anymore. Yeah, it's much harder. 
Yeah. And so thinking about that pre-cloud era when we had different practices, what practice from the pre-cloud era most is useful to you today? Like it resonates with the way that you operate. This is still a useful practice. That's an interesting question. I would say the, you know, the most useful thing that I've actually struggled with is, you know, having an inventory of what's going on. You know, and I fought this a little bit at first because this was coming in some regards from my auditors where they were going, where's your IT inventory? Because that was something that came from, you know, kind of that on-prem era where, you know, it was a lot easier to keep track of static assets because assets didn't come and go, you know, ephemeral like they do in the cloud. But I found that tools that we use today and capabilities that we can build allow us to continue to use those asset inventories to know what's out there. You know, one of the things that has been difficult is in the cloud era that I wish was a little bit better was, you know, being able to say, look, these assets belong to this team or that project. It is possible, but it's something that a lot of teams struggle with in terms of using cloud tags and cloud labels. Yeah, you know, I think inventory is always a, a good practice, but you know, probably there's some practices we used to have that you think really ought to have been buried, but unfortunately have sort of continued. What's one that jumps out to you that's something we should just get rid of, but we've just been doing it for too long? I would say the thing that I always struggle the most with, both as a CIO and a CISO, is the change control process. You know, in in bygone days, you know, you would have uh, change control meetings and, you know, it was like a structured meeting where people would come, this is the change I wanna make. And, you know, I really thought a few years ago, you know, once I had fully adopted a cloud native strategy that, you know, the change control meetings and change control process would go away. Because I thought that how do you do, you know, change control in such an ephemeral world, but Mm -hmm. it has persistently hung on, you know, I fight with auditors and I fight with traditional IT personnel around change control because they're like, every time I see a policy on change control, it talks about change control approval board and things like that. And I'm like, we can't do that. I mean, things are moving too fast. So I think that's the thing that I've struggled with the most. I think One more that I would say, because I think maybe you'd want something a little bit more on the nose. I think I've struggled with teams that have traditionally tried to squirrel away systems and access and things like that. I think that still continues to persist. You know, when my teams deploy some of the security tools that we do, we end up finding, you know, this account or these resources running in this other region. And I typically saw that in the the pre-cloud era as well, where I actually had a famous boss, who I won't mention his name, but he would walk around to all of the desks and do an audit and find that people had computers um, running under the desk. And I still see that in today's era where, you know, people will set up their own AWS account to run their own resources and you have to go around and, and chase those things down and find them down. I've had some interesting conversations with Amazon where they've said, hey, you know, I know you have access to, you know, these 32 AWS accounts, but did you know there's 11 more accounts out there that's associated with your company? And, and I'm like, really? How did that happen? And frankly, it's so easy to do it now that it becomes, you know, a second nature to these teams where they're trying to move fast, they're trying to innovate, So they're not trying to do anything evil or bad. 
They're just trying to do their jobs, and they feel sometimes that the best way to do that is to do it to direct instead of going through the process in the teams. Maybe your previous comment about change control boards and slowing things down might be part of what contributes to this problem. It certainly might. Yeah. So when you think about the cloud era, I think we had a lot of expectations about moving to the cloud. But for you, what has been the biggest surprise, good or bad, about the cloud era? I think maybe it was an expectation, you know, running computing resources, managing large scale infrastructures that I've done for well over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. I guess I thought that it would be a little less chaotic. You know, the ephemeral nature of the cloud, it has been a struggle. I feel like there are some days, some weeks where it's like riding a wild Bronco. I mean, you know, trying to figure out why something happened and the fact that it could be turned on in minutes and cause a catastrophic issue, either from uh, data, you know, that shouldn't be in a particular environment to resources that are running services that are insecure. It's been interesting trying to keep track of that because it's much easier, as I said earlier, to spin up these resources in the cloud um, than it was in a data center. I mean, before, you know, very few people had access to the data center. So it required, you know, at least tacit approval from the data center operations team to be able to rack and stack the server. And now you don't have that. I mean, anybody can, you know, go in and and drop in a credit card and launch resources. And with the ambiguous nature of data, you know, they have the data and they can populate it out into these resources and into these assets and then, you know, expose a company to a lot of risk. It's a good one. So if you think about your career, is there a piece of advice that you wish someone had given you earlier in your career, maybe than you got it or than you that you learned it, that maybe might be helpful to someone starting their career out right now? Yeah, I think so. And I'm going to I'm going to limit it to security. I think when I first got into security a little over 20 years ago, at first, you know, I saw my job as a mission to protect. And by protecting that sometimes or often meant saying no or limiting or restricting people from doing things. And what I found out very quickly is two things. One, if you are not treating these resources, these people, and maybe this is part of I learned from the being on the CIO journey as well, that you are doing a service delivery. Security is still a service delivery organization that they will go around you. And I think the second thing I quickly realized is that you have to be willing and have the skills to collaborate with your resources, with your customers, be them external or external. And you have to show them that you are a part of their success, that you want them to be successful. You just want them to do it in a way that protects them and their data. And I think maybe that's one of the things that sometimes security people specifically forget. I've heard a lot of times that my Mm -hmm. security team is a purveyor of no or you know, their default answer is no. And what I've heard from those same teams is, you know, this hasn't been my teams. This has been, you know, people I know in the industry, engineers and developers. What I hear from them over and over again is when that happens, they work to, you know, get around, avoid, ignore the advice of those security teams, which makes the security team's job so much harder. So partnerships, collaboration is crucial. 
Yeah, I think the challenge is security teams feel pressured to say yes, so they reflexively say no, rather than recognizing they don't say yes or no. They just give advice about how to be better that another team has to decide on. Um, yeah, the process I take with security now, and this has certainly developed over time, is I try to focus on the critical risks. You know, yep. when data is involved, how is that data being protected? When there are systems or assets involved, how are those assets being protected? And how can I say yes by making sure that the proper mitigations and remediations are in place, the proper documentation is there? So I think we're at a cusp point from a technology perspective, and the future has a lot of opportunities in it. Which ones are you most excited about? I think that one of the things, you know, going back again to security, but this certainly applies to my my role as a CIO, I've always expected and wanted tools and assets to be thinking about, you know, the single pane of glass. Mm -hmm. I think one of the problems that companies get into, especially as the complexity grows, is every team is having to rock, you know, three displays because they have to be logged into seven tools at the same time to be able to do their job. So while I, I've given up on the, there'll be a single pane of glass, what I'm really focused on lately is tools that are designed to solve multiple problems. You know, certainly Orca is in that space where, you know, it's not just a vulnerability tool that's finding vulnerabilities, it's also finding insecure configuration. So, you know, I've been delighted. And in fact, my teams have been delighted at Druva specifically we originally signed a one-year deal to do Orca, and we've now extended that to multiple years. But I see that trend in other areas. One of the things I'm probably most excited about are security orchestration automation response tools right now, mm -hmm. the SOARs. One of the things I've struggled specifically as a security leader, but not, you know, again, it does apply to IT, is very hard to find people that understand and appreciate and want to do security who also have the ability to do development. So I've struggled, you know, often on my teams because of my technical background, I'm often the one writing the JavaScript and the Python to be able to do things. It's rare that I can find somebody that knows how to do that. And that's been harder and harder as I've gotten more senior in my career because I'm starting to lose some of those deep technical skills as I develop management and people skills. So I've been looking, I've been wanting, I've been craving tools that help me do that easier. And some of the new tools that I've seen lately create stories that allow you to visually link different tasks together. And I think that helps me get to that point where I have that single pane of glass. You know, I can build things with that tool where I'm linking that tool and this other tool together to be able to pull dashboards that show me kind of a combination of information across the board. Yeah, I'm especially chuckling about the single pane of glass because to record this, I have four panes of glass in front of me. So I definitely can empathize with that. Yeah, I got to believe everybody does. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't have to be about technology or security, but I've, I discovered everybody has some piece of wisdom they like sharing. And so what's your piece of wisdom that you would share with our listeners? I think the piece of wisdom that I would share with your listeners is, and I touched on this earlier, and I see this especially with technology people to be the most difficult thing, is that relationship, that collaboration 
I really feel it's important that you dedicate some of your time every day or at least every week to meeting with someone that you don't regularly meet with. I even struggle with this, you know, but if you can find, and like I said, I give this advice because this is something I'm still working towards, but I think if you can find a way to spend some time with people and learn about their journey, learn about their challenges and humanize what you do that it's going to be much easier to do that as you move on in your career. That relationship management, and I don't want to make it sterile or anything like that, but that connection, that bonding that you do with people will engender them to support you in your activities. And I think a lot of people I've run into across the, you know, my entire career have really thought about it. Well, I'm working on this project or I'm working on that project and it has a specified start and end. And I mm -hmm. think that if people thought more broadly about the relationship and how we're working collaboratively to solve a problem that, you know, at a company, we're all working to achieve a shared goal. I think that would be the thing that I would impart on everybody is work on that relationship, work with your, you know, your customers and even the ones that you don't interact with on a daily basis or a weekly basis, you know, check in with them a couple times a, a year, you know, or a couple times a quarter and say, hey, how's it going? How can I help? What are you doing that you know, might be working on? Because they may say, hey, I was working on this thing. And you go, oh, I, I should probably be a part of that. And here's why. Yep. That's really deep, Drew. I think folks can really profit from thinking about that relationship instead of transactional. So I really want to thank you for coming and joining us today, Drew. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Andy. Great. And thanks, folks, for spending a little time listening to us today. For Cloud Security Reinvented, I'm Andy Ellis. Have a fantastic day. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented, brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.